For some of you, it's your first time. For others, it is not. But for today, I would like to welcome you all to Epic Realms. Friends and enemies, heroes and villains, welcome to Epic Realms. Our guest today is the brand manager of Pinnacle Games and one of the head designers. He's worked on multiple games in the Deadlands genre, such as Weird West, Wasted West, Noir, Dark Ages, not to mention his work with Savage Worlds and so many others. Please welcome my guest today, John Goff. John, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Good to be here. I have a question for you. What was kind of your intro into just the role-playing genre itself. How long ago was that? Oh, good grief. Um, wow. <laughs> Coming out with the easy ones. feel insanely old. Um, I started with uh, the Red Box D&D, uh, the old basic set where, you know, uh, halfling was a class. Because <laughs> I, uh, I grew up in a, a, a very small town in Appalachia, and I just happened to stumble across it in this, uh, well, what was the Walmart of the uh, late 70s in our area? And I uh, picked it up, and this was when, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the old Rankin-Bass Hobbit um, cartoon that came out back then. Yeah. Uh, so it, it just captured my imagination. And that's what I got started with. Okay. And uh, then I staggered into uh, AD&D and actually found a group of friends um, who, who were into it. It was a very eclectic group. But uh, we played frequently, uh, more than once a week, in my parents' basement through high school. <laughs> As happens, right? Yeah. It was pretty much Stranger Things minus the uh, other dimensional mind eaters. So what, uh, at what point did you, did you decide that that was going to be your career? Did you plan to do that? Or were you like, did you do other things? And then eventually you got into that. Um, so in college, uh, and this was, um, uh, probably my junior year or, um, the year that my college and I decided we needed to see, see different people for a year. <laughs> I uh, got very heavily into writing uh, one-shot adventures. Uh, and one of the, using at that time GURPS, because that was the, uh, the universal system that yeah. we had back then. And I wrote up this very detailed horror adventure. And uh, one of my friends who's, name is Shane Hensley, said, hey, you should talk to this guy in our friend circle, Addison Hunt, who had at that time in college written stuff for a game called Thieves World, uh, which was based on a uh, 
collection of short stories that came out of various books. And we were all really into that. And the fact that this guy, you know, in our friends group was writing for a game set in that universe was just amazing. Right. He read it and said, this is good. This is really good. But you don't want this to be the first thing you submit because they won't pay you what it's worth. He said, you need to do other stuff. And I didn't do other stuff. So I got out of college, uh, enlisted in the military and uh, did two tours got out, came back to my home state, Virginia, and um, started getting in touch with old friends from college. And one of them was Shane, who'd been in, Shane Hensley, who had yep. been in my uh, weekly gaming group. And he said, hey, I'm glad you you got in touch with me. Uh, we, I, I just wrote this game, and um, we've got a game company and I want you to take a look at it. And he sent it to me and it was Deadlands. And I read through it and I'm like, this thing's great. This is amazing. I love it. And he said, well, I'm glad to hear that because I really liked our games back in college and uh, the stuff you wrote then. So I'd like you to try to write for us. Um, and uh, well, here's the thing. I have partners, so you can't just start out. You have to go through the same process everyone else does. Right. Once you do, uh, write us a web page piece. It's a single page. And, you know, if that proves you can write complete sentences. We'll move on from there. And I did. And then they said, well, now I want you to write a couple of uh, convention adventures. And I did. And they liked those. So from there, we moved to these um, products they had called dime novels. Uh, yeah, they were named that because that's what the, the uh, penny dreadfuls in the weird in the in right. the old in the West, old West yeah. Yeah, they cost a dime. They were you know pulp stories. Um, and they said uh, Shane and his partner at that time, Matt Forbeck, said, you know, uh, do us a dime novel. It's half fiction, half adventure based on the fiction or vice versa. And that's when I wrote um, the first thing I ever had published. And oddly, I think to this day, the thing I'm still best known for, it was called Night Train. And it uh, was about a basically a drain full of vampires. And that one just captured everyone's imagination. And from there, I went to uh, reading over one of the, the first source books they released. And then I ended up writing the second one, Hucksters and Hexes. And maybe the third, Fire and Brimstone, and then on from there. So it was something I had thought about getting into. And those are and some core was, books for that system. Like when you when you wanted to play the game, other than the main book, those game, those books, uh, those two that you just mentioned right now, those were huge content pieces for people that wanted to play certain roles. Oh, absolutely. And I would like to claim that's because of what I wrote, but honestly, I kind of fell into those <laughs> and ended up <laughs> getting that one. And, and from there, that went on. And I wrote a, not a small amount of original Deadlands source books. And then uh, when Hal Mangold moved on, I took over as the line editor for the Weird West for a year or two. Okay. 
Um, and uh, then after that, uh, Pinnacle went through a bit of a rough spot. We partnered with other companies and so forth. And that didn't always, uh, wasn't always the easiest of partnerships. And I eventually departed to pursue uh, civilian employment, shall we say. Right. And, but I maintained the relationship. I still would work on things for Pinnacle. Like uh, when we did the D20 conversions, I, I worked on the first one of those. And I was originally going to work on the first of the servitor books, The Flood. But I had an inconvenient heart attack and someone else, we, we decided it might be better to pass that off to someone else. So, okay. But I stayed associated with Pinnacle that whole time. And I would say right now I'm in a very, I would describe my relationship with the company as unique. <laughs> you were kind of telling me about that a little bit off before we started when you were, so you were playing with Shane and that group of people before Pinnacle even happened. Yes. Yes. I uh, actually was running games with Shane as a player back before he could legally drink. Wow. And for those that don't know, Shane uh, was going to join us tonight. Wasn't able to, uh, we knew this a couple weeks ago that he wasn't going to be able to join us. Uh, so we will get Shane back on the show down the road, but Shane is the founder of Pinnacle Games. So when we talk about Shane, now you guys, everybody who's listening knows who we're talking about. If you didn't know already. <laughs> <laughs> the, the um, yeah, the guy that created Deadlands, among many other things, right. uh, the creator of Deadlands, Savage Worlds, and... Uh, uh, he's worked for an enormous number of video game companies too. So. Right. When you were working with them and they switched from the regular system to die 20. And then of course from die 20 to Sav, you know, they kind of moved over to Savage Worlds. What was it like? Was that just, were you there when they were like, Hey, we need to switch up the system and just change how the system works. Or were you more of a, this is a storyline. How is, uh, we never really, I wouldn't say we switched to D20. It was um, when Ryan Dancy kind of opened up the D20 system for uh, just wide usage. And um, that's when they had open, uh, open, gaming license. open source document, maybe is what it was called. Um, we just decided that, you know, it, might be a good way to bring people into our setting if we also release this in a format okay. that they're more familiar with because D&D &D 3 and 3.5 brought a lot of people into the uh, into the gaming world, not nearly as many as 5th edition has. But, right. So it was kind of just more of a, a side to it. And then as they progressed into... Uh, the system that I think Shane had really kind of always wanted to, to, to create, which was what we now know as Savage Worlds, right? which grew out of the miniatures game that we had developed for Deadlands, Great Rail Wars. Once they decided that, you know, okay, we've refined this to where we can, this can be the core system to our RPG. At that point, it was just a no brainer to, flip Deadlands over to that. Right, because yeah. Savage Worlds was more of a kind of like the modern generic universal role play. I mean, groups are right. still around, 
but this is kind of like what it is now because you guys have all these adaptations, which we'll get into later down the road. But when you were working on those things, you mentioned the miniatures game. You had a pretty decent hand in the miniatures game too, didn't you? I wrote one or two supplements for the Great Royal Wars and um, was always heavily involved with everything that we did with it. Uh, but I would say that was more Shane and John Hoppler's baby than mine. But, you know, there you, you go. You had a hand. That's that's, that's <laughs> <laughs> as in most things back at that time. You did do a GURPS book, correct? Uh, I did one entire one, and I revised another. Okay. I, uh, I I revised Special Ops, okay. uh, largely due to my military background. background. And from that, they gave me GURPS Warriors, which was a uh, book of various warrior archetypes and... Uh, examples in different settings it was actually a very intensive book to write <laughs> how is that for you going from a person that played it and then going in and be like i get to write for these guys oh it was it was it was pretty neat uh you know emails from steve jackson and the line editor and so forth because that was back before i was really heavily into pinnacle actually it was the, one of the last things I did before I went full-time freelance from okay. um, my real-world job at the, that I picked up when I left the military. Um, and then once I went full-time Pinnacle, I've just kind of always been there. I, I did a few things for uh, Vampire the Masquerade mm -hmm. because I liked writing for the, um, the line developer at the time. I, I got along really well with him, but since then, it's almost been entirely pinnacle because it's just kind of like, I don't know, it's home. Did you play Vampire the Masquerade or World of any of the World uh, Yes, I did in the military quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> did that, did any of that have a, uh, have a little bit of hand in your, in your night train? Uh, no, actually, because the decision at the time was, among other things, we did not want that type of vampire in the Deadlands universe. Okay. Uh, we weren't looking for a, a uh, large group of rational abominations. You just wanted um, bad guys. Right. It, it That really didn't fit with our view on how things worked in the Deadlands universe. And uh, the other thing that shaped that was we didn't have vampires in the Deadlands universe when I wrote the book. And that's kind of an environmental thing. I and mean, when you think about the old West and you think right. about vampires, you've got wide open spaces and a lot of blistering sun. Yeah. So the question was, how do they get around? How do they survive? Because they, they can't just sit in one town of 30 people. They're going to clean them out pretty quickly. So they have to have a way to move around. And it just became a thought experiment. Okay. And how they would, you know, get a train. Why would they have a train? Who would, who would man the train, etc. Yeah, so. yeah, definitely. And then that spanned, they spanned that between just from the Weird West. That was in the Wasted West too, wasn't it? Yeah, yes. I managed to get my fingers in. <laughs> well, why not? Why not continue I, I the story? Don't think, I don't know if I got them into Lost Colony. Um, I did write the creatures into Noir, but uh, 
I, I now now that I think about it, I wrote a type of creature of the sort into okay. Lost Colony. So when you did the crossover with World of Darkness Werewolf for one of the Dine novels, why the change for that and not vampire? Uh, because at the time Werewolf had a I think they called it Savage West, maybe. Okay. I can't remember. They did a Western, uh, you know, Vampire did Dark Age. They did uh, the Mask, Vampire, the Masquerade, Dark Ages, or something set back in, I'm going to think the 12 or 1300s. For Werewolf, they set it in the West. And there was a very easy tie-in there at that point to just bring those two worlds together. Now, whether they chose the West because it was very popular, it had been popularized at that point, thanks to Deadlands. At at its height, Deadlands was everywhere, but, um, or not, I'm not sure, but um, I I had that for a long time. And, And weirdly, I had a guy in my game that I was running in Richmond who turned out to be writing for Werewolf, and he didn't mention it to me when we, until we were like into the game. He goes, oh yeah, I, I, I'm writing for Werewolf, and this is what I've written, and all of this. And looked him up, and sure enough, yeah, he actually was a writer for Werewolf. Nice, <laughs> that's awesome. So let's talk a little bit more about Savage Worlds. Uh, as we mentioned, Savage Worlds is kind of like a generic system. They bridge the gap of multiple different. You can put different worlds in there. You can use it however you want. What is the difference between, for our audience that doesn't know, the difference between Savage Worlds and GURPS as far as a universal system? Um, uh, there's, there are several. GURPS is a much more crunchy system. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, and by that, I mean it, it, it. rules are a lot tighter and there's a lot more, just to simplify, math involved, both in character creation and what you do. GURPS works around a single type of dice, and that's the D6, and usually multiples thereof. Savage Worlds, on the other hand, delineates each ability and its underlying skills by a die type. So you use almost all of the dice that you got in your D&D dice set. You're going to D4, D6, D8, D10, D12, um, D20s come into it occasionally, but you don't have to have one as a player. Usually the, the only time it's going to come in is if the uh, game master needs to roll on a table. And instead of handfuls of dice, you're usually rolling two dice um, as a player. So it's a, it's a trimmed down What's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, we we talked about this beforehand. Now I forget words and yep, sense. yep, right there with you. Um, streamlined system, I think, to some degree, okay. in that uh, there's less calculations, there's ma- less math you have to do in your head. Everything's a little bit more simplified while still being different. Right. So, so then my other question is going to be. And I'm, and I'm sort of, it's not really backtracking, but I'm kind of backtracking. How does that then differ? How do Savage Worlds differ from, say, the Deadlands Reloaded? You know, because they had the Deadlands and then they did Reloaded and Savage Worlds. What's the difference there? Um, if we go all the way back to the original Deadlands, you can see some of the underpinnings of current 
Savage Worlds mm -hmm. rules in that um, Deadlands use the different die types to represent abilities and skills, but they use multiples of those die, die types. And the combat system was a lot crunchier and grittier in that um, it tracked wound locations, it tracked a uh, non-lethal form of damage and so forth. And it was really fun for shootouts and relatively small combats, but a lot of people found that once you got into larger uh, larger battles, it could really slow down thanks to all of that um, fine tuning right. or crunchiness. And uh, that's why we got a simplified version with Great Rail Wars to make the miniatures battle go much quicker. And from that, it, it simplified down and then got a little more complex for the RPG, but not terribly so, I don't think. Okay, cool. Well, we did mention that there's been multiple, like, I don't want to say adaptations, but things that Savage Worlds has kind of branched into. Yes, obviously Deadlands, Mage Knight, Rifts, and Pathfinder stuff. And you right. guys have kind of, you did, uh, not the one that's Kickstarter right now, which we'll talk to you in a bit, but you did, was it Rise of the Rune Lords you guys worked on? Yes, the, the first one was Rise of the Rune Lords. How is it taking some of these systems, some of these worlds, such as Mage Knight and Rifts, Pathfinder, and converting them to Savage Worlds? Is that difficult to try and be like, it's like, you know, fitting an apple into a square hole? <laughs> <laughs> no, no um, I've been on the periphery of both of those. Shane's been smart enough to bring in people that know those systems inside mm -hmm. and out and also know Savage Worlds. And we have whole teams working on Pathfinder, for example. We have right. a we have an entire group devoted to that, and we were lucky to get Sean Roberson for uh, Rifts, and he's been instrumental in bridging that. And uh, Rifts was probably the one that proved to a lot of people that we could fit just about anything into the Savage Worlds rune set, uh, rune set, rule set. Gotcha, and. Um, I've no doubt that, that that helped talking to Paizo for uh, converting first edition Pathfinder. Yeah. And uh, I might be mistaken, but I believe Sean has since gone on to uh, actually do stuff with the original Rifts game now. Okay. So um, serve, serve both of us well. But um, converting the rules hasn't been as hard or it didn't seem to be that as hard to me as it might be to someone who's not as familiar with the uh the rule set because people like one of the things was well how are you going to do mega damage and the first thing that leapt to my mind was well that, those are just heavy weapons and heavy armor and that's exactly how they ended up representing it okay. and um something like pathfinder to me probably took more work because the leveling system right. that is such a big part of uh D, D pathfinder those type of games it works differently in savage worlds we have levels but they're not um or we have advances advances in ranks right. which don't 
represent as large a jump as a level usually does in D&D or um, Pathfinder. Okay. Usually, you know, you go up a level in D&D or if it's one of the benchmark levels, it's this amazing boost in power often. You know, you get to a new spell level or you can shape change into a, a different type of animal or right. your die types go up in this particular ability, things like that. In Savage Worlds, those progressions come a little slower, like a die type will raise once, um, but they usually come a little quicker. So there, there is a challenge to that, but the, uh, the Pathfinder guys have just knocked it out of the park, I think, as, as exampled by the fact that this soon after the Pathfinder Kickstarter, we have the interest we have in the, uh, the next adventure path that we've okay. kicked out. Yeah. So. Well, let's talk about the next adventure path. Uh, and I and I really want to talk about this. How much did you have a hand in the new Curse of the Crimson Throne that is currently on Kickstarter? I will be completely honest and say absolutely none. Okay. <laughs> the the uh, the guys working that are doing it on their own, absolutely on their own skill, uh, and they they just do a great job. I. I mean, they don't need any veteran hand there beyond uh, Clint or Shane occasionally suggesting rules tweaks, I would think. Okay. So asking you questions about how it came to be and, and why they chose that over the other settings and stuff like that it aren't necessarily questions you'd be able to answer. Well, I think uh, that setting was chosen because it's almost, I won't say universally, but it is one of the the adventure path that is most favorably uh, reviewed. Yeah. It wasn't one of those that, you know, well, let's roll a die and pick it. They picked it because it's well-liked. Yeah, I think and, it and Rise of the Rune Lords are two of the top, two of the top right. ones. So, I, and personally, speaking from personal experience, we just finished Curse of the Crimson Throne for, for Pathfinder. Uh, right. And we were doing it live on our stream. So it's really interesting. I'm very curious to see how they've changed stuff and how things have translated over and what changes they might need to make between for system to system. Uh, and for those that are listening to the podcast, uh, just go to Kickstarter, look it up. Uh, you can look up Pinnacle Games. You can go to their website uh, and, and pick that up. And if you want to play through it, if you don't play Pathfinder, but you play Savage Worlds and you want to play that war that game, that's your chance. That is your <laughs> chance. Yeah, I do get to see the preliminaries. Okay. And uh, they, they fire them out to all of us to look at and make suggestions or comments. Um, and they look amazing. And that's a uh, partnership with Paizo. That's not like an open gaming license. They just said, you're okay right. to build this. So you guys get exactly. to use the same images, some of the images and pictures and stuff like yeah. that. So that's that's really awesome. I uh, If you... I've had a chance to look at the box set for the original. It's just incredible. I mean, the, the stuff that they packed in there, the art is, I, I can't say it's all original. I mean, all Paizo's original art, but it might be. Okay. I haven't gone through it with a fine tooth comb. Right. Um, but they, they, they have used a tremendous, they've gotten the rights to a tremendous amount of that art and the um, the layout, the formatting, and everything, plus all the little uh, tchotchkes, the little extras, 
are right. just incredible. I, I, I mean, I'm glad we have these guys on board because they're doing a great job. Right. Well, and there's, I mean, they've hit their goal. So, I mean, anybody who backs it right <laughs> now, they're, I mean, they're, they're literally 140,000 above the goal. I think they hit their goal within the first few hours. Right, right. So there's a ton of of stuff that's going to be extra for people that want to be get in on that and and get that. So it's 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 kind of a no brainer for any Savage World and Pathfinder fan, especially if you want to play in Galarian on on, on Savage Worlds. So. What about some of the other stuff that you've worked on? You, you mentioned vampire and stuff. Is there any other things that you've worked on uh, besides, you know, any other like role-playing games or board games that you've worked on that maybe people don't necessarily know about? Uh, not that are still in print. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about stuff that's not in print? Um, let's see. I worked on, um, I can't even remember the name. It was something for FASA. Okay. Um, it was an airplane miniatures game and I cannot remember the name and it, I, I hate that because it was, it was set in the, uh, in a, an alternative late thirties and it was designed around air dogfights and so forth. It was a fun game. Uh, I designed a bunch of aircraft for one of the books and, um, I enjoyed it so much. I designed extra aircraft and the, uh, um, the line editor liked those aircraft so much that he stuck them all in. So, um, but unfortunately neither FOSS, Crimson Skies, neither FOSSA nor Crimson Skies is really, um, around that much anymore. Right. Um, sure. But beyond that, I kind of, I kind of just dug into, uh, dug into Pinnacle like a prairie tick, and was kind of happy to be there, right? Um, because I, it, it let me really get into the setting lore and actually develop a whole lot of that. Right. Um, and there, there comes a point where you're like. I know this, I know all of this. So why do I want to, you know, go through the process to try and get jobs at other companies when I get all the work I want right here. Right. Exactly. Um, but you know, one of the things I've always wondered about is trying to write for D and D because when I was, you know, a 14 year old, that would have been amazing, but right. uh, 40 some years later, maybe not. <laughs> There's a lot of hurdles to jump and, uh, establish yourself with them and, and learn their their writer's Bible and learn exactly how they want everything done. And I'm an old man. That seems right. like a lot of work. Now. Do you still get time to role play yourself just for fun? Or is it just like yes. you, or role playing rolls around and you're like, this is work. This isn't fun. Um, I'm fortunate that my wife does as well. And um, used to be whenever I would, uh, run games it would be something that i was play testing to release like okay. noir or dark ages or fear agent or lost colony all of those i was constantly you know i would be writing it and testing it against my group because if it was going to break they would break it right not by playing smart but by doing exactly the wrong thing whenever they could um but um, so yeah, it's, for a long time there, it, it 
it it was work and that does go a long way towards taking the fun out of right. playing um but um fortunately my wife is giving me a break right now and running a D campaign for us and because our some of our other players have you know real lives we we get together every other week okay. instead of every week so and um i'm working on a actually a D&D campaign that I'm going to try to run because I'm going to see if I can make the challenge rating system work and uh, get around some of the issues with uh, encounters per day. So is this a uh, fifth edition I'm assuming that you've been playing? Yes. Okay. Are there any other yeah. systems that you really enjoy role-playing that's not necessarily uh, Pinnacle or D&D? Let me think. I... Don't know how many I have played recently. I love running Call of Cthulhu because it's just a death sentence. Yeah. Um, I like playing it because I like to see how long I can avoid that, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that last killing stroke, or in right. most cases, the first killing stroke. But um, beyond that, I've got a shelf full of games, but uh, I don't get a chance to play too many yeah. anymore um i i would say those savage worlds D, &D uh first edition pathfinder a few years ago i played a lot uh, we even brought back second edition ad and d and nice. tried running that and that's in my opinion a nightmare <laughs> they're like thaco what's thaco Oh, I remember all of that. I just remember I've cast my one magic missile. Right. I have a dagger now. What am I supposed to do? Um, but um, yeah, beyond that, I, I'm, I'm so tied up with a lot of the stuff that I'm writing that I often don't have time to dive into learning anything new and uh, or going out and finding new groups. Yeah, I, I'm perfectly happy with playing with my old college group and my wife and leaving it with that so does shane still play with you uh no shane lives half the uh the the majority of the continent away over in arizona and we all play in person here okay. we got it one of the things we looked for when we went house shopping when we moved back to virginia was one that had a game room Right. A, a room suitable for a game room and yeah. we've got one downstairs and probably the most expensive piece of furniture we have in the house is the table that we've got for gaming at nice and then um so i mean even during covid for the most part we were still gaming in person so okay all right million dollar question are you ready are you really going to give me a million dollars because that's going to no i'm not but it's, it's a it's a catchphrase <laughs> Do you prefer being a GM or a player? I prefer playing. Okay. Any particular reason? Um, I am a problem solver. Okay. Both as a gamer and as in real life. And being a player lets me solve problems. Uh, lets me take different approaches to them and so forth. So that's, that's it, plain and simple. I usually GM, though, because nobody in my group outside of my wife is willing to take that on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Tell us about the comic books. You're, you, you were talking to me a little bit off, off uh, screen 
about the comic book stuff you were working on and working with. How did the comic books come about? And uh, who you guys are you guys publishing it that yourselves, or are you going through a company? Uh, I don't know how much I can talk about that, but uh, we are working with a company called Outland. Um, get the name right. Uh, Outland Entertainment. They okay. have done other comics for us in the past. And uh, we are working with them to publish some of the stuff, some of our fiction, as well as some of the comics and uh, both a Weird West comic and uh, the and a comic for Deadlands Dark Ages, okay. which um, is very important to us visually because it's going to be one of the things that helps set the visual tone for the setting. Right. Awesome. How did that connection, you know, because you mentioned the older comics, how did those, how did that partnership come about? That would be a shame question. Be a shame question. All right. <laughs> let me put that on the list. Shane, next time, right there. Um, are you excited? Do you read a lot of comics? Uh, yes, actually. Um, I have a, I have the DC. Uh, unlimited app on my tablet and I probably read three to four a night before bedtime. So nice. yeah, I'm very interested in seeing this uh, hit the presses. Who are some of your favorite uh, DC heroes or villains, I guess. Villains are kind of cool too. Well, hands down, and, and this is the, the tried answer, but it's Batman. Okay. Uh, beyond that, probably the flash. Um, Although I think that, you know, if he were consistently written, he would just basically be, I, I don't know, God for a lack of intent. I mean, uh, when you look at what the, uh, some of the powers that they've given, uh, particularly the Wally West right. version, it's just insane. Um, and they just vary back and forth between what he can do. And it's, it's, uh, you know, I, I've, I've had lengthy conversations with my wife over, you realize that to be able to move this fast is reaction speed has to be at that level as well, which means he's impossible to ever land the blow on or even shoot with a sniper rifle because the second he feels the pressure of the bullet, he just moves. You can't kill him. Right. And uh, I, I nerd out a little bit too much about him. So, um but the number of things in my uh, my other professional career that I have solved by going, well, what would Batman do in this situation <laughs> <laughs> is uh, uncountable. So awesome. Well, again, for those listening, Curse of the Crimson Throne Kickstarter is coming out. It's already out. It's got 10 days left, I believe. Yes. So people can go ahead and join that. Do you know if there's going to be doing other Kickstarters down the road? I know Shane mentioned there was some other stuff coming in the works, but he didn't specify to me uh, when um, we were having this conversation. And I just was going to throw to him. And, but I don't know if there's anything you know about that you can talk about. Because that's always the key word, well, that you can talk about. <laughs> I'm looking at Curse of the Crimson Throne now just to make sure. This is a, um, they have a name for this type of Kickstarter that they're doing. And I cannot remember what they call it, but this was one where they are not firing out a lot of stretch goals, if any. 
Okay. Um, it's basically, this is what you get. This is what, you know, we're going to provide for the amount of money that you get. And it lets them kick it out quicker okay. and um, keep a better handle on the costs and prices. Um, they, uh, they actually have a term for it. And for the life of me, I cannot remember it right now. You're lucky I remember that we're still having this conversation <laughs> at this point in my life. Um, to my knowledge, there will be a Kickstarter for Deadlands Dark Ages this year. Okay. Um, when, where, who, what, all, all of those, and the why, I could not tell you. This has been something that has been on the slate for more than half a decade. All so right. um, we are at this point doing art. And as I said, uh, Simon, who's kind of the uh, going to be doing the editing on it, Simon Lucas is in um, Wales and Britain right now. Uh, and he's actually doing a lot of real life tours of the locations that appear in it and kind of getting a hands on you know, first person look at everything to make sure that my descriptions match reality. So um, I'm pretty sure we should be seeing that sometime um, late fall, early winter. Um, beyond that, I'm not sure what else we have in the, uh, in the pot right now because Pinnacle has grown enormously the last couple of years. We right. have... We actually have departments within the company now. It used to just be five people, only two of which were full-time. Now we have entire lines set off. So yeah. it's uh, very difficult to keep track of what everyone has going on, but there's a lot. When you're talking about the, the dark ages, and again, I don't, I don't know what you can and can't talk about, but there's a certain, I don't want to say theme, but there's a certain... Uh, 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 characterization. There are certain characters that are kind of throughout Deadlands. Yes. But how can, is there a system, is there something, a story set up where they they exist there or is this going to be all brand new everything? Well, if you look at all of our different settings, we, um, they're almost always, there's, there's one consistent thread through all of them and that's the Herald. Yes. A character type. Beyond that, we have kind of general concepts. And as uh, other than Shane, the only person that's written in all five iterations, actually, right now, I'm the only person that's written in all of the iterations, since he hasn't written anything for Dark Ages yet. Um, we have character concepts, I guess you would say, that, that we try to carry forward. There's the uh, arcane background, which, is, which are our uh, magic systems okay. that are based on um, good. Uh, in, in Deadlands, they're the blessed. They are uh, generally preachers or you know, followers of a religion who are very devout in hell on earth. Um, that's the one where they kind of disappear <laughs> in hell on earth and also to a lesser degree in noir because both of those are much darker settings. Yeah. Uh, in dark ages, they're going to be represented by what we call the saints. Okay. And um, 
they aren't necessarily all priests or anything like that. They're just simply people that uh, have been chosen by the, the powers of good okay. to help humanity. Uh, we also have those who trade something for their power. Okay. The hucksters in the weird West who gambled with yeah. the Manitou. And then we have grifters in um, noir who basically make personal sacrifices uh, to get what they want and, and so on across the board. And those are going to show up as sorcerers in dark ages. Okay. Um, we have the science-based ones, whether they were the mad scientists in Weird West, the patent scientists in Noir, the junkers, or uh, the breakers, and so forth in Lost Colony. Uh, in Dark Ages, they're the alchemists, and uh, so forth. So, so there are parallels for virtually everything. I tried to make sure that uh, we kept that thread going in awesome to the connections and um the other thing that's that's kind of surprising about dark ages is uh britain in the time frame that we've set it is very similar to the american west in that uh you know you've isolated communities very few people traveling between them warring factions warring countries and so forth and uh, the, the more I wrote into it, the more I'm like, wow, I had no idea how well this would mirror over. So. Cool. Well, then that being said, uh, let's talk about some of their social media, shall we? Sure. Everybody who's listening, if you want to check out Pinnacle Games on Twitter, it is at P-E-G underscore games. Uh, Instagram at Pinnacle Ant Group. Or Facebook backslash Pinnacle Ant Group. Uh, you can also find all of this information, guys, all of it on peginc.com, P E G I N C.com. Uh, and they're also on Twitch, which is backslash P E G I N C as well. So uh, thanks, John, for joining us tonight. We're going to do some uh, QA with the live stream chat here in a bit if you want to stick around for that. Oh, sure. Uh, Absolutely. Thanks for having me. No problem. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and dogs, and everybody else, July 25th, uh, we have an episode podcast. It's not our normal interview episode. I'm going to be joined by my friend Adam to talk about our podcast, how the show came to be. We're going to promote some of the people that have worked on it, such as the person that does our audio, uh, some of the people that have worked for our live stream and everything else. So if you want a little behind the scenes look at the podcast and kind of how it's done, uh, we're going to do that uh, because we're prepping for our trip to Gen Con. So that'll be July 25th. August 8th, though, we're going to return to our normal show with Gen Con's guest of honor, and one of the most known D&D authors out there. We're going to be joined by R.A. Salvatore. He's wrote Drist, Brunor, Caddy wow. Bree, Artemis, Jaraxle, and so many more. So join us August 8th for that. I want to thank you again, John, for joining us. Everybody who's listening, be sure to follow us, like, subscribe, rate, review, all of that stuff, because it helps us and it helps our guests. So thank you so much, and make sure to join us next time. Epic Realms. Well, there you are. I hope you enjoyed yourselves. And I do hope that you come back. 
and join us again for Epic Realms.